We're Metapod, a podcast about the new era of podcasting. With everything and everyone entering the podcast space, there's not a lot of industry talk covering the action. So we'll be taking a closer look at the developing podcast industry. Who are we? I'm Henry Gorilafond. And I'm Matthew Justin. And we're two music industry geeks out to discover what's happening behind the scenes and mega deals of podcasting. So what are podcasts? Podcasts are defined by the fact that they are, or always can be, downloadable audio files. Offering speech for download, as long as it's the speech of people making the podcast, is pretty straightforward. Offering music to download, on the other hand, especially for free, has always been legally problematic in most Western territories for complex copyright reasons. This has led to some comic workarounds. For example, music podcasts by Rolling Stone and Billboard that can't feature music clips longer than a few seconds, often not more than one line of lyrics. The problem here is that to have something downloadable everywhere, as in in all territories worldwide, you need permission of everybody involved, the record label that released it and the songwriters who wrote it. That's hard enough when you're dealing with one song with one writer and one label. The writer might be fine with it, but a major label will probably never reply unless you offer them money. But what about modern songs, which often have a lot of writers? Perhaps you've heard Sicko Mode by Travis Scott. That has 30 writers. Bearing in mind that each writer could be represented by two or more music publishers, you could easily have 100 total parties who have to sign off on your use of that song. Forget it. This is unlike radio, which just plays whatever it wants, pays a standard rate, no permission or paperwork needed, easy. Over the years, many people have tried to monetize podcasts. There are a few different options there. First, you've got advertiser callouts, which is someone saying, this episode is brought to you by... Next, you've got direct response marketing. For example, get $10 towards any Spotify premium subscription using code Metapod. Uh, Don't do that. It's not a real thing. These days, you hear a lot of ads inserted at set points in the podcast and targeted by geography. For example, if you download an episode of a podcast here in London, and a friend downloads the same episode in Edinburgh, Scotland, your Scottish friend might hear different ads, despite both places being in the UK. Finally, you've brand commissioned whole episodes. For example, Canadian telecom company Rogers commissioning the For Love of Work podcast to essentially make itself look more interesting as a brand, even if the podcast itself is unrelated to what the brand actually does. Here's a really quick history of podcasting. The first podcasts were Christopher Lydon's Open Source, which was RSS feed of audio files released in Cambridge in 2003. Podcasting grew pretty fast, and by 2006, quote, everybody, unquote, was doing a podcast. There was lots of music, lots of legal ambiguity about what was legal and what was not. In 2008, the iPhone 3G, along with the Android-powered G1, hit the market, which really was a growth moment for podcasts. In 2014, Serial, the true crime podcast, was released. That really grew the pie. I remember Serial. I listened to it on a long trip when it came out. I think I had downloaded most or all of the episodes, actually on my iPhone 3G, getting ready for a solid binge session. So it may seem surprising that just five years later, I'd be streaming my podcast on my phone's data plan, or even downloading it in a minute or two if I'm about to hop on the subway. My own guilty pleasure is the Joe Budden podcast, part of a generation of casual talk show style podcasts, ranging from Joe Rogan and Joe Budden to comedy podcasts like Nerdist and Comedy Bang Bang. There's a lot that happened between the Serial podcast and the Joe Budden podcast. One took a lot of research, editing, and directing. 
The other is a lot more casual. Serial got fame, but Budden got money, signing an exclusive deal with Spotify in 2018. And finally, while the True Crime podcast was structured as a series that you'd sit down and get through paying close attention to details, the Button era is all about creating habits, as I did listening to new episodes weekly at the gym. Tech companies know that creating habits means money, and podcasting is no exception. But the investments haven't only been centered on building loyal listenership. There's also been an interesting push into the tech that allows these shows to be produced. In 2019, Spotify spent an estimated 140 million US dollars to buy Anchor, the all-in-one podcast recording application that we're using to record this very episode. The premise behind Anchor is a darling of the tech startup playbook. You make it easier for people to do something complicated, and you upsell them on all related services. It's unlikely your customers will leave since you've gotten them used to the easy way of doing things. If you've ever built a site on Wix or Squarespace, you'll know the strategy. It feels good to build a nice-looking website for free or very cheap, but the renewal bill next year is salty, and good luck trying to take your site somewhere else. In fact, Anchor really shines at these related services from recording and editing audio to arranging it into podcast episodes, publishing them to listening platforms like Spotify, and monetizing content by adding advertisements into episodes. And it's this crossover between new tech, new listening habits, and new content format that will be the topic of our next few episodes as we dive into this furiously growing industry that's pulling everyone in from hip-hop superstars to ex-royal family members. Henry, you talked about this new generation of podcasting hitting its big money phase, especially with Joe Rogan, and also that the tech, like Anchor, has made podcasting available to a whole new generation of less techie podcast producers. Though, as you pointed out, sometimes the costs can pop up out of nowhere once they've got established market share. How do you see the market for competition with Anchor in the coming years? Does having such a tight Spotify integration rule out others being able to effectively compete? Matthew, it's a good question, and I see several concerns if the Anchor model were to keep growing. One is the consolidation of several different small services like publishing and distribution into a large conglomerate like Spotify. The other is around ownership and transferability of content, since we might end up with podcast projects being stuck in the Spotify ecosystem. They'll be encoded in proprietary formats that you won't be able to open in other software. And building on this last concern, there's a worry around Spotify's ability to change content creator payment models on a whim and without their consultation. In short, the more Spotify owns the infrastructure, the more leveraging power they have over creators, risking an imbalance in the creator and distributor relationship. That's really interesting, and I'm definitely curious to hear your thoughts about my segment. I certainly do have several thoughts. Matthew, you suggest that podcasting is defined by constant and free access to content. So just to compare it, I can watch Oprah at home on my TV, but only if I have the right channel, whereas I might just find any old podcast on YouTube or Spotify. I think you bring up two interesting effects of the shift to easily available content. First, it makes it hard to keep track of royalties since the content is by definition spread everywhere. And secondly, it's changed the funding model for these shows, and that's a topic we'll have the chance to come back to in future episodes. It's funny because in a way, Spotify would seem to have the infrastructure to actually keep better records of what music is being played in what podcasts. And in our advanced information age, you imagine it would be easier for money to flow back to creators in a highly accountable and organized way. I was going to ask you why no one's taken advantage of that. And then I noticed we could embed Spotify songs into our podcast from within Anchor. 
Any thoughts on that? The question of royalties is a sensitive one for Spotify, with the public perception being that its music royalties are unsustainably low, despite it only being a profitable business for the most recent few years. Music people tend to view the move into podcasting as being one into a form of audio that doesn't have the costs of music, and this has understandably ruffled a few feathers. So while the accounting should be more efficient, and I've used Spotify for artists lots and it's great, it remains to be seen how much money is actually going to be paid in royalties for those big podcasts going forward. Next we have Vic with This Day in Podcasting. The first thing is I'm going to lay down an audio track here. So let me go ahead and record something. Okay. Hi. I'm Steve, and welcome to my weekly podcast, Super Secret Apple Rumors. <laughs> That's Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, you've probably guessed it by now, on January 10, 2006, holding a seemingly uneventful masterclass at a Magworld event. It was, however, a sign of things to come in the podcast industry. When podcasting first appeared as a concept in the mid-2000s, it was presented as online radio, a field populated with former journalists, writers, turned into early adopters of this new format. But from the get-go, podcasting had an accessibility which was unique. Back in 2004, Christopher Lydon, a former New York Times and NPR journalist who jumped early onto the podcast train, saw this new format as an experiment. Everything is inexpensive, the tools are available, Everyone has been saying anyone can be a publisher. Anyone can be a broadcaster. Let's find out if that works. In January of 2006, Steve Jobs showed just how accessible making a podcast could actually be. By using a program, GarageBand, built into every Mac computer, users could try their luck having to buy, at most, a cheap microphone. Recording, editing, Adding music and even visual elements, if necessary, to your podcast became child's play. In the summer of 2005, Jobs had described podcasts as the next generation of radio. But when he himself taught a crowd how they could be just a few clicks away from becoming audio content creators, he showed what podcasts had that radio still doesn't have. A key element of this new audio format is its capacity to dissociate itself from the heavy standardization which on-air radio imposes. Traditional media quickly imported their radio shows onto podcast hosting platforms, most notably the one pre-installed into iPods and later iPhones. But the true disruption came from the others, the hours-long shows featuring everything from day-to-day -day conversations to esoteric interests and hobbies or other skills. In 2019, there were more than 700 different podcasts available, according to the New York Times, which relied on data from the podcast hosting service Blueberry. Two to 3,000 new shows were added each month. One might wonder how many is too many. But with increasingly accessible audio platforms, slowing down doesn't feel like the trend. That brings to a close the first episode of Metapod. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave feedback. We promise we'll read it.